Hi, welcome to Snap Trek. I'm Jen Tift, and I'm joined by my fabulous co-host, Ross Webster. Ross, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Can't complain. Excellent, excellent. Good. And today we have a very special episode of uh, Snap Trek for you because we have our first guest player today. So we're um, so happy uh, that we're joined here today by Rob Chapman. Uh, who is an all-around awesome Trekkie, and he's also the host of the wonderful Trek Book Club. So, Rob, how are you today? Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm flattered that I'm your inaugural guest. No pressure at all. <laughs> no pressure? <laughs> no pressure on Snapchat. We're just like... <laughs> it's a very relaxed podcast. Very relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and tell us a little bit more about the Trek Book Club. What what book are you guys reading this So this month? we I just we, we did a public vote this month. Um sometimes I choose one, sometimes um people at different different um Patreon tiers choose one. This this month we put it to a, a vote and we I think uh we chose um DS9 section 31 abyss which I don't know anything about so I'm quite excited to read that. So yeah. Yeah, I, I saw that. I'm excited too because that book has uh, Julian Bashir on the front cover, and he's my he's my favorite special, you know, uh, Trek character. So <laughs> I'm excited to read that. Right. I'll be joining oh, you guys for Trek Book Club this month for sure. <laughs> All right, well that's great. Uh, so let's get started. Um, so. If this is your first time joining us, uh, Snap Trek is, is a game podcast that pits two tangentially related episodes of Star Trek against each other um, in different categories, you know, to see which episode comes out on top. And we do dish out points and pick a winner, but it's really just a way to uh, to get the conversation going about two episodes of, you know, the franchise we love. So that's how we kick it here on Snap Trek. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the episodes uh ross what episode do you have for us today well i have been lucky enough to watch uh season three episode eight of tng the price and that is going to link nicely with rob's choice of episode this week so uh my choice uh the one i'm watching is uh star trek voyager um False Prophets. I think it's season three, episode five. Yes. And beautifully, they're linked by the unstable Barzan Wormhole. And that's the theme of this week, the Barzan Wormhole podcast. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was interesting that they decided to do a, a, a sequel of sorts to that uh, Next Gen episode. Which I, I remember being really... Uh, tickled by that you know but it, it seems surprising but actually when i thought about it th this isn't the only strange sequel i came up with for voyager i thought about uh course oblivion as well oh yeah as a sequel to demon yeah. oh and i just thought that was the, I that, love it's that. great isn't it but it's like such an unexpected sequel because i just mm. presumed they would never revisit this but now that right. they've stranded two ferengi in a delta quadrant and they've got a starship out there as well they should connect I mean, the chances are infinitesimal. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, because I, I remember I remember watching the price when it came out, and 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 feeling like I felt like this sense of like existential dread for these poor guys stuck, you know, it's 
80 years away, you know, from the Alpha Quadrant. And, and I remember how, how badly I felt. Yeah. Um, for the, yeah, so I, I was, I was re- you know, I was relieved that we got some closure on that, you know, seven years later. But, uh, Although we'll, we'll talk, we might talk about this later on about what actually happens to the Ferengi. Yeah, we'll find yeah. out. Yeah, I, I'm actually a little bit upset that I wasted any energy feeling bad for these guys. <laughs> I didn't deserve you. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So, all right, let's get into it. Um, Okay, so as you know, on Snap Trek, uh, we we figure you guys know these episodes pretty well. So instead of uh, spending a lot of time on a full recap, we like to do a quick uh, lyrical recap of the episodes. Uh, so, uh, Rob, um, what do you got for False Prophets? So I did think of, of you know trying something really elaborate and clever, but that that, that fell to waste. <laughs> I just went with a simple limerick, um, and I did. I love um, it. I did contemplate just reciting the song of the sages. So I thought <laughs> that might be that, that might be really cheating. <laughs> <laughs> um, or just like rules of acquisition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've just got a, a, a simple limerick. That's great. Um, Let's hear it. So my limerick for uh, Voyage of False Prophets is: uh, There once was a wormhole called Barzan. Two Ferengi went through and hatched a plan. They pretended to be gods to make profit and wads, but Voyager put an end to their scam. Oh, very good. Love it. <laughs> nice use of scam. I like it. <laughs> that was really excellent, Rob. Well done. My limerick for the price. The Barzan own a stable wormhole. Starfleet negotiators vie for control. Troy's boy, Devanani, conspires with the Ferengi. He succeeds, but the wormhole shifts, and the end goes somewhere rather unexpected. <laughs> oh, I like it! <laughs> I was waiting for the rhyme too. You got me. <laughs> there's very little that rhymes with the word wormhole. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was clever. All right, you guys, you guys did awesome with that. That was great. All right, now let's let's get right into the game here. All right. Uh, for, for the first category we're going to uh, go through is let's start off by taking a look at the outrageous costumes. Okay. Uh, let's uh, kick it off on the alpha side, alpha quadrant side. Ross, what do you got? Okay. Best costumes, uh, most outrageous costumes. I, I can't go through this without mentioning Crusher and Troy's workout costumes. Uh, of course. They're, they're fairly extreme, <laughs> but you know they're not—they're not actually that unusual for workout <laughs> costumes even today. I thought you know I could imagine people might work out wearing those kind of things, like body suits with leotards. In 1989, I don't know. I mean, that was the last time I even thought about going to a gym. So <laughs> maybe things have changed. I don't know. <laughs> um, my my choice for outrageous costume is Leor of the Caledonians. He is a giant. He has a massive yes. head, like way beyond the classic forehead prosthetic. He's got one gigantic <laughs> nostril. Uh, his hands are wrapped up in fabric and rings <laughs> like a giant two-fingered hand. And he's uh, he's a famous guy. He's, uh, he's the guy who played the Predator in the Predator films and Harry in Harry and the Enders because he's like a well-known giant. Oh, wow. Really? Uh, his, name, his name's Kevin Peter Hall. I've written it down. Kevin Peter Hall. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's just like, 
I, I knew who he was when I rewatched it. I didn't know the first oh, time wow. I watched it years ago. I was like, oh yeah, it's it's the the guy from Predator. He is massive. They've doubled down on it with a giant head, and then they've wrapped him up in some fabric to give him some fake hands. For him, he for me, he was the best costume. Uh, so I'm giving you Layer of the Caledonians, the Caledonians, Layer of the Caledonians. I have to Google that now to see if he was a Caledonian or a Caledonian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a that's a really good pick. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot that. Rob, <laughs> what, what, what did you go for, Rob? Um, well, I did. I did contemplate just choosing um, Arador and Cole because they're. I mean, all Ferengi costumes are kind of outrageous. They're all so like over the top mm-hmm. and flamboyant. Um, yeah. I didn't go yeah. for them. Um, I went for um, Arador and Cole's um, female uh, servants. <laughs> quite <scandalous. laughs> There's barely a costume there to talk about, is there? <laughs> it, did make, it did make me think of um, the DS9 episode where um, Lita and Rom, they're trying to choose a wedding outfit for Lita. And they talk about, like, it's just a loincloth. And it, it literally... It's barely a bikini, and it's like a, just a, a you know face veil. There's there's nothing of it, so it's pretty outrageous. <laughs> when I watched those, when I watched the episode, I was like, "Wow, I, I can't believe this goes on TV." Is this? This is like I know, six like, o'clock on BBC was, Two. I can't believe they're showing this. Yeah, there was there was quite a lot on the show. <laughs> I was when I saw those costumes, I was more thinking about how their boobs must have been taped down. We talked about boob tape last week too. <laughs> Star Trek staple. <laughs> I know, especially with these kinds of costumes. But like, how? Yeah, like it, it's very hard to be contained in an outfit like that, especially if you know your goal is to, you know, on television not show any nipple. I guess <laughs> you know is that is that the where the line goal. is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where it's where it's allowed not to even where it's not so yeah so it was very very interesting uh placement of <laughs> hidden you know hidden ways to keep those costumes i, I, I thought you up, might have gone so, for yeah. all the ears all the uh like golden ears that yeah oh, that the ear everywhere. i think you might have picked that as the best costume because that was a really weird thing for them to do it was quite weird the ear jewelry yeah, the story was pretty funny. I thought I thought that was interesting, and I love. We also have to mention um, the Grand Proxy Neelix, because oh, yeah, yeah. uh, he, you know, like you said, you mentioned Rob about how you know outrageous the Frankie costumes are, uh, and then they, you know, kick it up a notch or two, you know, for Grand Proxy because he's got an extra, you know, robe and uh, this magnificent <laughs> cape, you know, that at one point you can see swish around fully, you know, when he goes back into the. Uh, the temple or the the vault <laughs> that they live in so yeah and he's a costume in a costume as well i mean he's that's like almost a, me- a meta selection yeah yeah <laughs> right right so both excellent choices okay guys where's your points uh, going to rob you go first you're the, you're the guest you please um <laughs> oh that's hard um I think I'm going to go for the female servants. Aradron Cole's female, um, yeah. <laughs> female servants. I think I'm going to go for. I'm going to. I'm going to stick with Leo of the Caldonians. Okay. I'm going to. I'm going to go with that uh, because he was a giant with a massive head, and I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, you know, it's it's close. I think I gotta. Hmm. 
I gotta give I gotta give a point to uh to the price I think on on this one, just because of what they um what they do. It's a very the price is right. The price is right. Yeah, that's a unique uh a unique alien design and and costume, but uh but it's close. It's close. And, and yeah, it's hard. It's hard, hard to give a point to um you know to Lloyd Cloth. <laughs> well, and um uh, it should be it should should be noted here that um that False Prophets was nominated. Uh, for an Emmy for best costumes, really? Wow! Yeah. For, for that costume, or do we no, know? Which, no, no, no. It- I, I think it's just overall. I think I don't. I think they just do an overall, you know, oh costumes department. You know, for that episode. Well, that uh, episode had a lot of costumes in it. Yeah, like, yeah. We saw Troy wear all sorts of weird stuff. No, false which... prophets did. False oh, false prophets. Sorry, yeah, false yeah, prophets. Prophet. Yeah. Right. Forget. I'm, I've confused the two episodes. I'm at the wrong end yeah. of the world. <laughs> get back into the alpha quadrant <laughs> yeah well troy yeah troy did have a lot of nice episodes. I, I enjoy her um her date night outfit her sleeve the, the one that that doesn't have any sleeves I, i'm sorry the one that we the might, one that might talk about this later, oh okay <laughs> well i won't say any more than that but yeah i i enjoy i enjoyed a lot of uh troy's looks in that one too mm. all right so <laughs> Uh, okay, so so that's two for the price and one for false profits. Our next category is going to be best line. Rob, what do you have for the best line in false profits? Um, yeah, there was there was quite a few I could have gone with really. Um, <clears throat> I did think about um, Jane Way's where she they're um they're plotting to try and um get the better of the Ferengi, where she's, you know, we have to out Ferengi the Ferengi. Yes. I love that line. <laughs> and and also um, Tom Paris, when him and Chakotay are in this, you know, the market square. And um, I think they've just been uh, fleeced by uh, one of the traders that's get sold them in it, um, the, the ear jewellery, but taken their sandals. Um, and, you know, Tom says, after he's given his shoes away, um, he says... You know, he says, you know, so far I can't say that I like this place very much. And then, and then one of the servants rings this like gong, and uh, and then these female slaves come out with wearing nothing. And then Tom says, on the other hand, <laughs> typical Tom. Um, but in the end, I went with um, what Cole uh, Cole said to Arador when uh, Arador was counting out all his profits, uh, and then they realise that profits are down. And uh, Carl says, uh, you know, down, profits are down. And he, he signals for his, these women that are giving him low, low rubs to get away because he's trying to concentrate. And he says, uh, you know, I'm sorry, Aradro. It's just, you know, they can't get enough of my loads. <laughs> <laughs> that's such, such a line. There's there's a lot of good comedy lines in in um, properties. The guy who plays Cole is hilarious. He is very funny. He's really good. His yeah. voice is perfect. I don't think I don't think he says anything in the price at all. I think he's completely silent. I think he's just yeah, yeah. It, it, in in the price, he was played by um you know just just a an extra stand-in because he didn't have any lines. He was actually a, a um. one of the body doubles. Um, but then in False Prophets, he was played by Leslie Jordan, who um, you might know he was in. He was uh, Beverly Leslie in Will and Grace. Uh, if you've seen that, or he was also in Boston Public and Boston Legal. I, I totally recognize him. He, 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 I've never yeah. watched 
I've never he, watched any of those shows, but I recognize him. Yeah, you recognize me, you see him. But yeah, he was, he was pretty funny in that. Yeah, and that and that that is a great line <laughs> because he really thinks that too. You know, it's that, it, it, it doesn't occur to him, to probably any Ferengi that the only reason they're you mm-hmm. know they're there is because of all the gold and that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they can't get enough of my loaves. <laughs> my wonderful loaves. <laughs> and it's the way Cole delivers it. It is. It's the yeah. way he delivers the line. You know. All <laughs> I'm good enough for loans. The line I liked the most from False Prophets was when uh, there's the chap begging for money to feed his massive family. And he runs a sh- he runs a shoe shop, maybe, or he runs some sort of shop. And uh, they don't give him any money, and they don't give him any food, but they give him a a copy of the rules of acquisition. Yes. And it's uh, they said we're going to give you something something much more profitable: a copy of the rules of ac- acquisition, cheapest possible <laughs> binding. I can imagine myself saying that next time I do something. We can go for this cheapest possible binding. (laughs) Oh, yes, I love that line when he adds that. that (laughs) And and he then, and then they make the guy pay for it anyway. (laughs) He has to cut, you know, 10, whatever, (laughs) rupees or whatever it is. Francs. 10 francs. (laughs) 10 francs in, in the, you know. (laughs) <laughs> in the collection he ends up worse off right, yeah, right. exactly <laughs> exactly now and ross how about you best line for the price okay there were two two standout lines for me um one is where crusher and troy are in the gym and they're working out and they're fully having a a conversation about devanani ral i love and, that uh, so the, <laughs> it, the scene would Cause the Bachadel test to explode, <laughs> but it is a good, it is a good scene. Um, and well, you know, I, I'm sorry to, to interrupt you, but 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 but, no, no, no. <laughs> but it's funny you say that because like I, I thought the same thing when watching it, but on the other hand, like it's really nice uh, to me in in 1989 to have a scene where, with two women openly discussing their you know their sexual urges without any sense of shame. You know what I mean. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of sexual agency in this uh, for Troy, in this episode for Troy, and in the scene for both Crusher and Troy, and and I, I that's something that you know that was refreshing for me to see, you know, as a young person in 1989. Well, well the whole episode it's really a Troy. The whole episode's really a Troy romance. That's like the focus of the episode. The wormhole and the the negotiations yeah. are almost the B plot, right. really. The romance is sort of the main focus of it. So it's right to have somewhere somewhere right. they can go to talk about it because that is what would happen, isn't it? You don't just do all this. You don't have a if you have friends and you have a relationship, you tell people about it. You tell them what's going on. Um, yeah, so uh, it was a, a fine <laughs> a fine a fine scene, but uh, it was a bit. You know, ooh, a bit racy, and then uh, Crusher comes out with this line: <laughs> "Who needs rationale when your toes curl up?" I was like, "Wow, all right, that's a that's a bit of a saucy line," and it made me think of. Uh, well, it, think of- it's coming from the lady in Sub Rosa, so <laughs> that's what I was thinking. That's the Sub Rosa. was like, "Wow," because later on she's really getting on with the ghost. <laughs> she doesn't think twice about it. Like, yeah, and, and before that, and right before she said that, she she says to Troy, "She's like, oh, you're 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 looking really limber today." Oh yeah, and it's like knowing look at yeah, each other. Like, yeah, yes, I am. Uh, yeah, I like I like those lines. I like that pick. I think that's really fun. 
and and I, that's good. But I, there's another. I want to talk about one more. One more funny line that I really like. Of course, that, can I give you one more? My my line is my line is. Uh, it's this one where Geordie and Data are stranded on the, or almost stranded on the other side of the wormhole. And uh, Geordie says, you know, if this doesn't work, the thought of spending the rest of my life here is none too appealing. And then Data says, there is a bright side, Geordie. You will have me to talk to. <laughs> and actually, my line is just the look Geordie gives the camera. He's like... So my yeah. is like, are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not spending all my life in it talking to you. <laughs> Right, right. I thought it was a perfect yeah. unspoken line. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah, and, and then it, and that makes it even more, um, even more sad for the poor Ferengi when they get you yeah. know stuck there too, because it's like you know exactly what's you know waiting there. Best thing that ever happened to them getting stuck on the other side of that world. I know. Who knew? <laughs> who would have ever yeah. thought? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Okay. So. Okay. So what's your what's your pick? That is my pick is the Geordie data line. Geordie data. Okay, uh, yes. So that, that's where I went. That's where yeah. I, went. I, I think I think that's an excellent pick. <laughs> that's funny, Rob. Any thoughts on that? On uh... yeah, I, I like that one. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> poor data, like he genuinely thinks that's that Geordie would be lucky to spend the rest rest of his life with him. <laughs> You know that's a, that's an excellent point because because <laughs> anyone else who said that line would be being sarcastic. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, hey, you get me to talk to you. You know, get it? <laughs> <laughs> Data doesn't have that. You know, it's just <laughs> you and me yeah. to talk to you. You're fine. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. All right. Um, okay, so as far as points go, Rob. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go for Ross's one just because of the the the, the, the Geordie look. <laughs> I think yeah. I'm also going to go for the the Geordie one as well because it's just it is good and it's not even it's such a a tiny their plot is so tiny in regards to the whole episode, but there was a really nice moment between the two of them. So yeah, I'm going to go for that as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I'm going to give my point to the price also. Um, I, I like the, I like the Ferengi line, but um, but there's just something about a good data, yeah. Jordy, you know, hey. interaction like that. That's really funny. So, all right, all right, come on, false prophets. Here we got so far the score is five for the price and one for false prophets. But our next category is outstanding techno babble. Let's see what we can do here, uh, uh, Rob. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. Um, Bits of techno babble in um, yeah. literally, the, I think the, some of the first words of the episode um, with uh, Harry and Chakotay, um, and that, you know, so the episode begins and they're investigating this possible wormhole. And Harry says, uh, based on the residual neutrino levels, I'd estimate it's been at least six months since the wormhole's last appearance. So you think, okay, that's you know residual neutrino, and then Chakotay immediately adds afterwards from the dispersal <laughs> pattern of the interstellar plasma. <laughs> it's like what? what? <laughs> So um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think I think that's <laughs> probably um, my choice. But there's there's a few others. There's um, two box scans the nearby worlds. Um, he says uh, metallurgic analysis indicates a pre-industrial civilization. I just thought try and say that three times. <laughs> um, and also Jane Way to Harry. Um, 
in the science lab when Harry and, and Blana are trying to figure out how to get the wormhole um, to come to them. Uh, Janeway says, why don't you and Lieutenant Torres get started on a phase profile of this elusive wormhole's neutrino emissions? So there's a lots, lots of neutrino, lots of... There's so much. Of plasma. Um, and we're, mine is not massively different because we're talking about the, 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 the same wormhole. We're talking about the same phenomenon. Um, the only difference I've got is I'm, my line is seeing it through Geordie's visor. So uh, right. my visor's picking up subatomic fluctuations. Mason and leptonon activity are definitely increasing. Gravitational acceleration is also increasing. I was like, wow. I had to look up mason and leptons. They're real things. I didn't know that. Who knew? <laughs> from, a, from a cursory Wikipedia search of mason and lepton, I'm still not sure what activity they actually engage in. <laughs> I'm not sure what they actually do. So they're there. They're doing something. I do not know what they are doing, but uh, gravitational acceleration—that's a—that's a classic, a Star Trek classic. So we know we know what that, that means. Things are going to get heavier or lighter or dense. I don't know. Actually, <laughs> I spoke. I spoke out of turn. I don't know what it means. It's also confusing. Well, and yeah, and I—I I like too that they had. You know, Jordy has. Um, you know, we get all this info, extra information because of Jordy's magical. You know, <laughs> yeah. visor. He can- he can see stuff. He was telling them all about it. He was right. like, you've got to get back through the wormhole. It's definitely in the close. And Arador, and Arador is just like, no, I'm going to do whatever I like. Right. Uh, and, and you have to be pretty, pretty, uh, you know, self-absorbed to not, you know, take a warning like that to heart. You know, this guy's telling you, you know, you don't even have 40 seconds to say you got to get through now. And you're just like, oh, no, I know more than you. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> And I thought, you know, you know, just because, you know, I still didn't think that they deserved to be stranded, you know, 80, you know, years from <laughs> from home. But <laughs> you kind it of seemed to have no ill effects on them. Don't feel too bad. I, I know. Perfectly fine. The only just thing I really... after that span, you know, said between 1989 and 1996, I felt bad for them. <laughs> the, the only thing I really noticed was Arador lost his, uh, his forehead tattoo. That rubbed off. Somehow. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Apart from that, everything else was on the up. Maybe they're just rub-on <laughs> tattoos, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they're tempor- you know, the temporary tattoos. <laughs> like a flag pin, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> it's a Ferengi symbol, so yeah. it's just like wearing a flag pin. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's typical Ferengi. Why pay for something that lasts forever when you could charge someone right, to right. repeatedly come back and reapply the same thing? Yes. Now you're thinking like a Ferengi. There we go. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so points. Where's everyone putting their points? Ross? I, I think just for sheer quantity, I'm going to go for, for Rob's choice because I, I did think it was a really techno-babble-heavy episode. And for me, it was when uh, when Harry and Belana are trying to figure out how to draw the wormhole back and they're releasing some sort of... They, they're trying to figure out something to do. And I was like, wow, this is so techno-babble-heavy. So your, your choice... Uh, remind me what, what was the thing? What was the what was the specific line again, Rob? Uh, it was it was Harry and Chakotay. So Harry says, based on the residual neutrino levels, I'd estimate it's been at least six months since the wormhole's last appearance. And then Chakotay replies, from the dispersal patterns of the interstellar plasma, it looks like it has it isn't fixed. It seems to be traveling through space. So residual neutrino dispersal pattern of interstellar plasma. 
they're, they're both. <laughs> what I like about it is, though, actually, I think I know what it means. Yeah, I, I've listened to it. It doesn't mean anything, yeah. but I think I know what it means. That's perfect technobabble. <laughs> That's perfect. It perfectly makes sense. And they've 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 told you everything you need to know about the wormhole there, even though they've told you some nonsense along <laughs> along the way. So well done. You get my points. Yeah, you know what? I'm also going to give my points to False Prophets on this one because in, in that scene in particular that you're talking about, Rob, they did a really good job of uh, making me buy into the fact that this was the same wormhole. And you know what I mean? And this is why it's back, um, you yeah. know, wh- where it was, you know, seven years ago. And and and, and I, I thought they did a really good good job of techno-babbling their way into this sequel. <laughs> so my point's going to False Prophets. How about you, Rob? Yeah, I think I think my, my point has to go to False Prophets as well, for, just for the sheer quantity of um of uh of techno babble. Um yeah, quite impressive. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's go for category four. Now we're going to go for best scene. Okay. Um, Rob, what was your best scene for False Prophets? Um, there's, there's quite a few. Um, and they're all really comical. I, I really like um, the the poet bard person who, who's got the <laughs> eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. love how you know he pleads with um, Tom and Chakotay because he needs ointment for his eye, and then later on he asks again, and Tom's like, "Wait a minute, wasn't the patch on your other eye?" I like, I quite like that scene. That's that's quite funny. Um, <laughs> and also that I, I'm sure he's been in the actor who plays the, the poet bard guy who recites the song on the sages. I'm sure he's been in lots of episodes of Star Trek. But I specifically remember him as Minister Crowler in. Um, TNG's first contact, yeah. you know the horrible guy. So it was quite quite nice yes. to see him, yeah, in a in a non alien, you know, non alien looking role. But the scene the scene I went with um, is actually the scene that Ross described earlier um, with, with the sandal maker when he comes to the um, for anyone to to plead for help. Um, yes, he says he can't feed his family or care for his ill mother in law, um, and he. Uh, yeah, he, he, he lists his dependents. So he says, you know, my wife, her mother, my five <laughs> children, the baby. And is the Ferengi replies, it's Aridor replies, well, that's seven employees. Eight if you count the infant. How can your shop be failing? And then Cole chimes in, you're not paying them, are you? And, and the sandal maker explains, you know, his mother-in-law's really ill and his children are very young. And um, <laughs> Cole replies, don't tell me none of them are working, you ignorant, lobeless fool. <laughs> I thought that was that was really cool. And then obviously Rod said, you know, they they end up um, they end up. He, he he asks. He says he's going to exploit his family because um, they they tell it they recite one of the rules of acquisition about exploitation begins at home. And then they give end up. He asks for medicine and food, but they end up giving him the rules of acquisition with the with the cheapest possible binding. Uh, <laughs> I really like that scene, even though it's you know, it's horrible. This poor guy is just asking for help. <laughs> not only does he not get it, um, you know, it highlights their utter greed. He ends up worse, and he, he might as well have not bothered coming because he's 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 lost money. Um, right. Yeah, but it's it really funny that scene. Yeah, I think I think that's a great pick. 
Um, Because it, it, it really does show the damage that just these two Ferengi did to this whole society, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in just a short amount of time. And and they're awful and the whole thing is awful. You know, they come out like, you know, with those those beautifully costumed <laughs> Ferengi <laughs> dancing girls, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and exploit this poor guy. And you see, you, like you said, you get a role of acquisition, you get some some jokes. It's a, it's a funny scene. It's a good one. It is a very good scene. And it's nice that that's not just a one and done for that character as well. He comes back yeah. and he's one of the townspeople whom you see mm. all the way through. So it's nice that you see him, at least at the end, benefit <laughs> a little bit as well when the sages depart and the fiery, they ascend in the fiery thing. I can't remember what it was actually. Yeah. Um, but it's good that he actually benefits at the end. I was glad about that. Yeah, he's one of the ones uh, that gets some of the the re uh, redistributed yeah. funds <laughs> that were stolen. <laughs> the other the other good scene I thought in uh, uh, False Prophets was one that you don't often see in Star Trek when they had an actual <laughs> sword fight uh, yes. between Carl and Arador with swords versus Neelix as the Grand Proxy with his uh, cane, his uh, his Magus cane. And out of nowhere, they're both brandishing swords and they're really having a proper sword fight. I was like, wow, I completely forgot this happened. It's brilliant. It was yeah, a really enjoyable sword fight. It was. And, and all Neelix has is the, you know, the Grand Nagus stick, you know, yeah. and, and the staff and, and that gets, you know, whacked in half, you know, right away he throws it up. And um, it's funny because because Neelix just gives it up right away. He really <laughs> He's like, does. Wait, 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 I'm not a Frankie. <laughs> Yeah. right away which is really funny i mean it, granted he's not armed and they are but <laughs> it also lets you know that he doesn't really know much about the ferengi if he thought that confessing and being honest right. with them would change their opinions <laughs> <laughs> exactly right uh yeah that's a, yeah. Uh, so for my best scene i uh opted for a very different kind of scene uh, and i thought it was sort of the core of the episode really so it's not actually about the wormhole it's about Troy because it really. This is a Troy episode, and I've not really talked enough about Troy. Um, it's the scene where Troy and Raal are in bed, um, and it's the only Star Trek scene I can think of that starts with a lingering close-up <laughs> of her foot or a foot, and you just see her. You see her foot there on the screen for about fifteen seconds, and it's getting you know rubbed by Raal, and you see her perfectly manicured toes. <laughs> Yeah, and I was going to say, it's a lovely foot. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a delightful foot. But I was like, wow, they're really, really showing you the foot. That is... That is a... maybe, the, maybe the director had a bit of a, a foot fetish. Yeah, potentially. <laughs> um, maybe, because they did linger on that foot for a long time. It's a very, very long <laughs> time. Like, hey, we, we got it. You know, she's getting her foot, her foot rubbed. We get it. <laughs> uh, and that's the scene where Raal confesses to Troy that he's part Betazoid. And that that's information really that could cripple his negotiations because he's being deceptive and it gives him sort of an unfair advantage. And it sort of puts the moral quandary forward for what should Troy do? Should she be telling someone? Should she keep it to herself? Is, is Raal actually doing anything wrong? Um, but in reality, Troy's only got one thing on her mind and she's she's a big Raal fan at the moment. You know, at, that, <laughs> at, at that point, she's, yeah, she's, she's right there. There's only one thing. She's wearing that sort of sleeveless white top you were talking about, um, right. which she sort of, you know. Her... I was talking about a different. Oh, one, really? But yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, Keep she, going. I'll tell you. She's wearing like a white, very loose sort of top. It's very 
very relaxed atmosphere. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what the one I was talking about was her her the the sh- uh, the shoulderless um, blue dress uh, that she wears on their their, their first date, yes. which I really yes, like. Yes, yes. With the you know complete with blue tights and blue sh- <laughs> blue shoes, but um but yeah so and, go ahead. I was gonna say another scene that I really like in um the price is um when uh, Raal and Riker are talking in ten forward, yeah. and Raal is so incredibly like arrogant and quite cringy, mm-hmm. and he's trying to like he's trying to like uh, rattle Riker and you know, um, tell him about, you know, how, how wonderful Troy is and he's missed an opportunity. But then Riker manages to, you know, get away in and, and, and you know, gets one over on him. And, and I, I quite like that scene where Riker gets one up on, on Raul. Did you believe Riker? No, knowing that we know Riker, do, do, do we believe him? Do, do, we, do we think uh, he convinced Raul? Do we believe that, that, believe him in what that he was that, only that he... concerned about Troy's happiness, and if if Troy was happy with Raul, he'd oh. be happy. Yeah, one hundred percent. I do. Uh, I do. Uh, what one of one of the greatest things about Emzadi? The reason why I'm such a huge Emzadi fan is because their love is completely um, non possessive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? They legit they legitimately love each other and care about each other in that way. And sure, like if Troy picks someone that he didn't think was worthy of her, of mm-hmm. course he's going to be jealous. Of course, you know what I mean. But but he's not. But he's always always going to be supportive of her. Um. So I think he legitimately, and I think that's why, like he got he got that that yeah. wonderful Riker grin on his face when 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 Ralph, you know said that stuff to him about Troy because he's like, ah, oh, you know, you fi- I finally see yeah. you make a wrong move, you know, or something like along those lines because because he knows that that Ralph thinks he's he got a rise out of Rock Riker, but that's not going to get a rise out of Riker. He yeah. legitimately wants Troy to be happy, you know. <laughs> Um, and and he he does such a great job of of t- of taking him down, you know. And I love the way he does it. He takes him down, takes a shot, and then <laughs> yeah. and then you know busts out of the room, you know. <laughs> on that note, you know, I'm out of here, you know, <laughs> and yeah. just leaving him looking like oh he had, crap. He got and he has a massive smile. Yes, on his face. I love it. The Riker yeah. grin. <laughs> so yeah, I totally buy it. But you don't, Ross. No, I, I do buy. I do yeah, buy. Okay. I, you know, <laughs> love is pure. I, I know that between the two of them, their, their love goes beyond both quadrants, from the alpha yes. to the delta. I, <laughs> I understand that. I, I, I wouldn't want to. I was just it, I, because we know that they get together. Yeah. You know, we know that they they do have that sort of lingering relationship. Um, but I suppose at the time it could have gone any other way, and you know we do see Troy date Worf as well, and. Riker's okay with that as well. I think does Worf ask Riker about the asks Riker asks his permission? Oh, there's a whole big thing. I don't even want to get into. Really? That. <laughs> we could talk about that for an hour. We could, we could. But no, but yeah, I, I, I did. Yeah, I did believe it because yeah. I think uh, if if there was if there was a problem, I don't think Riker could hide it. I think he's poker face, right. but perhaps not when it comes to Troy. Well, and and I think I, I think that was um, one of one of Rawls' problems. I think was he read he read Riker's mind in that he read, he read that there was, you know, feelings between a a relationship there, but I don't think like, I I think he's, it's too, he's, he's too shallow to be able to even understand the kind of love that they share. 
So you know what I mean? Yeah. So cause he's such a little swarmy frat bro. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. That he can't even like, you know, understand that. So he just thought that, you know, he had Riker. He had something on Riker, but he really didn't. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so that's an interest really interesting scene. Good good point there, Rob. What do you think, Rob, about Imzadi? Well, as in do I do I like them as a couple? Just no, just any thoughts uh, on, you know. On that scene, you know, more thoughts? No, I, the, I compl- uh, yeah, I think Riker, he would have genuinely been happy if if uh, Ra had, had made Troy happy. Um, but right. he know, I think he knows what such a, he's a, such a slime ball. He's, you know, he, I think he yeah. knows that once the negotiation is over, he, he, won't, he doesn't, not really going to care about Troy. He, you know, yeah, I just, yeah, Riker's so much better than that. He's, he's such a horrible slimy oh, yeah. I didn't, didn't like it at all <laughs> I hate him so much I really really do okay so but you're go- you're going with the 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 date the the, date, the bedroom, bedroom scene. scene where he confesses that he's a a, a quarter is a quarter betazoid and of all his brothers of all his siblings he's the only yeah. one that has any empathic abilities and uh it's uh, and he confesses that, doesn't he, while Troy is massaging his chest. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> the most scene, which is the other reason I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is nice to see Troy happy in that she scene. Is. You know, I mean, she's, she's so relaxed yeah. after that foot rub. It's just perfect. Yes. And, you know, and they're sharing a moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we got okay. So for as far as points go, let's see. Um, Rob, your your turn to go first. Where's your addition at your points to? Um, I think I'm gonna go with false profits because just because the comedy value. Mm-hmm. I, I, that scene, that, yeah. that scene in the price is obviously really vital because he confesses. You know, it's a crucial part of the plot that he confesses he's part betasoid. But um, I'm all, I'm all about the comedy. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with the 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 scene of the sandal maker. Excellent choice. So Ross, how about you? Um, I think I'm going to go for the price, just because the foot scene, the foot, <laughs> the, the foot thing, really sticks in my mind. I do think it's an important it's scene. Memorable. It is memorable, and it, it's memorable because of the foot. Uh, I, but that's not the only reason it's important. <laughs> but I can't get it out of my mind, so it, it has to have the point for closure. <laughs> You, do you like feet, right? Whoa, <laughs> like, whoa. You have the, uh, <laughs> I'm talking to my own team. <laughs> no, yeah, and and I notice I notice her lovely manicure every time I see that. I'm like, yeah. those, uh, you know, that's a lovely shade. It's a lovely shade for 1989. She's pretty forward thinking. I know what picture you're putting up. <laughs> <episodes>. <laughs> Too bad we didn't see a Ferengi foot. I would have a good comparison shot. <laughs> Maybe Mott, maybe Mott the barber's got a little uh, you know pedicure business going on the side there you know maybe because that is a nicely pedicured foot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well I you know I enjoy I enjoy a good foot, but <laughs> a good foot massage. I, I enjoy a good foot massage myself, but uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'm going to give my point to false profits because this scene. I mean, in in the price. Um, Riker has a line where uh, he says, um, you know, something like the Ferengi win, they're going to be, you know, collecting tolls, you know, at at the, at the, you know, um, entrance to the wormhole. 
And and I think that's kind of a good foreshadowing of false prophets and this scene in, mm-hmm. in particular, which is we see basically what would happen, you know, if you give Ferengi the controls of something, this is what they do with yeah. it, you know, and that scene, that's that scene is all you need to show you exactly how much damage these two Ferengis with a replicator have done to this poor society. So I'm going with false prophets for that one. Okay. I accept. <laughs> All right, so we are all tied up going into the uh, last category. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it's close here. We've got six points each. So final category, guys, okay? Final category is, drum roll, please. <laughs> um, big, the biggest lobes for business. So, Ross, who in the price has the biggest lobes for business? Well, I have selected one person who really stood out. I'm regretting <laughs> this choice. It seems that neither of you oh, really it, like him. No one else did it. It's got to be him. For understandable reasons. Uh, Devanani Rao. He is a, a genuine wheeler dealer. Yes. He's very good at what he does. Uh, subtle manipulation and game playing. Yeah. Using his secret empathic abilities to sense when others are you know, losing their nerve. Uh, and Mendoza's yeah. own words, he's the best hired gun in the business. And at the end of the episode, if the wormhole had proved stable, the Chrysalians, whom he was representing, would have walked off with that sweet, sweet Barzan wormhole deal. Uh, <laughs> he, he had the low, he wasn't, he wasn't above, you know, underhanded tactics, but he was just down to business. He's come there for a reason. He's got his sights set on a target. He's going to get it. Devanani Rao. No one else lived up. No one else could possibly have been the contender. And the fact that he schemes with, is it uh, Damon? I can't, I can't remember his name now. The Ferengi he schemes with him to, you know, um, to, so that he can get the, the deal in the end, so that the, the, the Barzan go with him. I thought it's that was... So, it's so rude. It's so rude, but it would have worked. Yeah. If, if, it had, if it had gone through, it would have been a successful, you know, his tactic would have paid off. He just um, he completely outmaneuvers every single person. He gets, you know, um, I suppose the Ferengi get rid of Mendoza, but, you know, he gets rid of the um, Caledonian person. He, you know, outmaneuvers the Federation. He manipulates the, um, the Barzan, uh, Premier Bavani. He's, yeah, he's, he's a proper wheeler dealer. <laughs> He is, and he, he and he writes that he is quite smarmy as well. That is definitely yeah. a word. <laughs> him, he is a smarmy guy. He is. Oh, he's such so smarmy, but he is really good at what he does. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said. I, I mean, that's it, that's true, and 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 it's it's a game to him, and he wants to win the game, and he's the best player at the game. You know, in the game, um, and he finally met his match with you know. I was I, I was gonna say I mean he met his match with Riker but he didn't he met his match yeah. with Troy because Troy's mm. the one that takes him down you know <laughs> and and that's I mean that's pretty much like you know one hundred and one is not giving away your your biggest secrets you know what I mean like. <laughs> Uh, you know, because he, he, he it, it was a weird thing for him to do, right? Yeah, like if he didn't give yeah. it up to Troy, that he, you know, you know, was part of it. But do you think? Do you think maybe maybe him telling Troy that was almost like a negotiation? He was trying to, he's by giving some giving one of his secrets to her, he would then 
persuade her to be with him. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, he had mm. already, um, he was already there in there <laughs> yeah. at that point. But but I think you're right too, because he was trying to. <laughs> he was <laughs> he was trying to convince her to literally to actually went, run away with him. So I guess you're right. I guess that is the, you know the next step is to make yourself vulnerable by te- you know telling your secrets and all that. I just think stuff. I just think he he views the world like in a transactional sense he does he oh, sees absolutely. everything as a, you know i've got to get the upper hand it's right yeah yeah exactly oh yeah you're right and he, yeah he doesn't turn it off he which is it's and it's ironic cuz he keep he tells uh, uh troy several times to shut off the counselor part of her but he never shuts off the uh you know the wheel and the deal inside of him you know yeah. he's, he's always on <laughs> so it's kind of ironic that he, that he you know tells her to shut off being counselor so many times but um and all the way up until the end you know he's still at the he makes one last play at the very end and he and he uh he does the classic you know smarmy bro uh play of oh you could help me change, you know, come away with me and help me change, yeah. you know, which, mm. which Troy sees right through again. Cause he like, he met his match with Troy, you know, and she says uh, her great lines. I already have a job as a counselor, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I already have, a, you know, <laughs> you know, people I have to, you know, I, I don't need to fix, you know, I can't, uh, my job isn't to fix you, you know? So um, yeah, but that, I mean, that's a, that's a great choice. He is really good. I, I, whenever I think of his character, um, I always think of um, the episode Loud, Loud, Loud as a Whisper and Reva. Yes. Um, and the reason I th- I, th- I feel like they're the op the, the like the exact opposite characters <laughs> because they're they're both hired by like like I mean uh, he's a negotiator and Reva's a, a, like a mediator, but they're all you know, but they're both just so um, uniquely hmm. qualified for their jobs and they, and they come in and, you know, do, you know, these, you know, get these, um, these client, you know, client, different clients. And, and I, I always think about how that was a good Troy one-off romance. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it kind of makes the, the scenes with this guy, uh, you know, get on under my skin a little bit more because, you know, like, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> It, no. well, now you've made that comparison. <laughs> like, oh, Raul, it doesn't even do a bad taste in the mouth, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but okay. he's good at what he does. He's Absolutely. definitely got the load. He's got the load. <laughs> got the load. <laughs> All right, Rob. For false profit profits, who has the biggest lobes for business? Again, I could have chosen quite a few people. Um, there's quite a good, a few good uh, business men and women um, in false profits. You've got the. Um, uh, the, the poet Bard, who he's persistently pesters Tom and Chakotay by reciting the <laughs> Song of the Sages, trying to get them to give him, um, you know, these frangs um, for reciting. Um, but you know, Tom gets Tom figures out that he's you know a bit of a con man because he's obviously got the patch on the wrong eye. Um, you've got the, you've got right. the salesman who who ends up uh, selling Tom and Chakotay the ears. He's quite relentless and slick. Yeah. Tries to sell them property, transportation. Finally, gets their <laughs> shoes. Um, you could even have uh, Janeway and Voyager for, as she says, out Ferengi, the Ferengi, um, and playing them yeah. at their own game. You know, coming up with a whole idea of um, sending Elix in as the grand proxy um, to, to recall Arador and Cole. Yeah, that's a good, that's, um, a, that's a nice shout. That 
yeah that's a nice shout out i was i always think it's funny too because um janeway and archer both in their dealings with the frangie they both had that same idea of trying to out Ferengi yeah. the Ferengi, you know, and it's totally different from the way you know uh, Picard handles the Ferengi and how, of course, Cisco handles ha- handles the Ferengi. I think that's that's it's really interesting <laughs> to put yeah, Janeway I mean, and Archer together, you know, in a category because they usually don't, you know, have the same solutions to problems. Yeah. So I, I think that's interesting. And she did. A, she did. Uh, that was a good plan. I thought <laughs> it was a good plan. Had had Neelix not, you know, been a bit braver. <laughs> Yeah, right. just you know, I mean, he was threatened with the sword. Uh, you know, I think, I think he my was. my yeah. wits was, might fail me if I was approached by with a, a man with a sword. I get it. Yeah, and he's like throwing, he's throwing stuff at them, and he's gonna run out of stuff in that little bowl pretty quickly. <laughs> that, that was a real comedy fight, wasn't it? So I get it. it, it Life threatening, but also hilarious. That was, that was a really good fight. <laughs> Yeah. yeah with these ridiculous you know in these ridiculous outfits you know <laughs> these ridiculous looking aliens it's really funny <laughs> okay so but then okay so you did anyway so yeah i could i could have i could have gone for um you know a, a bit more of an honorable uh lobes for business with janeway and voyager but it has to go to Arador and Cole for exploiting this planet um by pretending to be its people's yeah. gods <laughs> You know, manipulating this their mythology, um, preying on these people's um, you know religion, and also the bit where um, Janeway beams Arador and Co up to Voyager, and you think, well, that, they've won now; they've got them there. You know, but Arador manages to persuade Janeway that um, to, to beam to beam them back to the planet because it would be it would be against federation rules and you know they can't interfere with the internal affairs of another people um so that i you know he's that was really good that arador managed to persuade her yeah um that was a baffling aspect of that because i was sure janeway would just be like you're right put these two guys in quarters we're gonna have to yeah. figure something out yeah. so we'll Not uh, send them uh, back <laughs> why send them back <laughs> You know, you've got them. You, you've already you've already solved the right. problem. Now you just have to smooth the problem over right. a little bit. I tell you what. I tell you what. One person in the episode who shouldn't be, it doesn't have loads of business. And I, I'm sorry to say this. It's the the sandal maker <laughs> because it seems to me that everybody on that planet needs a pair of shoes. They all they all want shoes. Uh, and yet the sandal maker he, he cannot cannot get his business off the ground. There's a disconnect here. <laughs> you know. He needs some sound business advice, yeah. and the Frankie were giving it to him <laughs> for a price. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, so, so Arador and Cole are mine. They, yeah, same with Kevin only uh, Raul. You know, you've got to go with the it's the it's the slick, greedy, manipulative people. Unfortunately, the 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 the, the better right. they got business. Yeah. <laughs> Right. If if you look at you know best at business, just as who makes the most profit. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. Is, I mean, they made, think about how much damage they did to this entire society. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, they live like Jamie says they live in this this pal or I'm sorry, whoever says it. Well, they, uh, you know, they they live in this palace and everyone yeah. else is in squalor. But I, you know, that's still a tough thing to do. Like, to get, you know, yeah, they do have. Yeah. They definitely got the lobes. And I could see that. Well, and and that's what's so interesting. They they don't even want to leave. You know, they they find out they have a chance to go back to the Alpha Quadrant. They're like, no thanks, we're good here. <laughs> yeah, 
you know, and that's, you know, I wasted seven years of my life feeling <laughs> sorry for you guys. <laughs> and this is what you're doing. <laughs> oh, what a waste. What a waste. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thinking about points. Yes. Um, I think I'm going to have to go with Cole and Arador because they started out from a position where anything could have happened. They were lost on the other side of the galaxy and they have, you know, they've in their own minds, they've literally done the best thing they could possibly have done, which is to turn a massive profit. Um, so I'm going to give this to false profits because I think Coral Arador, although they had a lot of luck, they they turned a bad situation into a giant business opportunity. Okay, Rob, how about you? Oh, I'm 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 really um stuck on who to choose here because <laughs> this is a tough one. It really is because he, I almost want to pick um Devanani Roll because he's such a slimy, manipulative little blimp. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then I think what you just said, Ross, could probably um, convinced me that. That they're, you know, that, that it could have been a horrendous situation, you know, where they're stuck, you know, hundreds of, you know, t- tens of thousands mm-hmm. of years away from home, but they completely turn it around to their their benefit and and in the best possible, well, for them, the best possible way that you know they're in this lavish palace, you know, surrounded by beautiful women. They've not, you know, every need and and desire is catered for. Um, so I th- yeah, I think I think I'm gonna have to go for Arador and Cole as well, but it is really close. Yeah, yeah, and and I gotta agree with you guys. I'm going with false prophets also on this because um, you know Raw has this um, this this really unique advantage, mm-hmm. um, natural advantage. And what does he do with it? He he lies and cheats. You know what I mean? Instead of playing the game fairly and and using his gifts that would surely help him even if you played fairly. You know what yeah. I mean? To win. You know, if he was that good, he could beat Riker fair and square if he was really that yeah. good. You know, but he doesn't. And instead he creates this elaborate scheme, you know, wheeling dealing with the Ferengi to, you know, create this scene. That really lowers him in the, our estimation as well. Because yeah. if he's the best at his job, well, that's great. But that's that's a bit of a cheat. Do your job properly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If if you're so good, then you'd be able to to beat Riker. Yeah. You know. So and and like you guys said, you know, in false prophets. I mean, they the, the amount of um you know as much as they you know when they see, meet the who they think is the grand proxy, you know, they try to downplay you know how much profit they made. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so they wouldn't say it, which was funny. But they but they you know what they did in the, you know, seven years um, to create that much profit. That's, you know, they got the loaves. So (laughs) they got the loaves. So guys, so we have a final score, uh, false profits, nine and the price six. (sighs) So false profits is our winner today. The Delta side. Congratulations, (laughs) Rob. Congratulations, Delta quadrant. I think on the whole, more profit was made in your episode yeah. than in my episode. Um, so yeah, so yeah. it's deserved. It's deserved. <laughs> Both good episodes, though. Both, but it was fun. It was a fun way to have a sequel. Yeah. I thought. And um and yeah, you know, and what we never talked about was 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 the Barzans themselves. Uh, we didn't because um, 
Yeah, which I th- I think was is it's a really cool you know now that we have like like Ross, um, I think when when you suggested this uh, topic, you were thinking about um, discovery and our new Tarzan security non. security non. I love her. She's a great character. <laughs> I'd love to see her do a bit more. She's so and- Yes, we need when they first her. showed off a sort of you know, they showed off the character, and I think there was that scene in the lift which they sort of teased, and you can see the sort of the breathers yes. either side, but nobody knew what they were. Are they breathers? Are they something else? What she got? And then gradually, like yeah. she is a Barzan. They are doing that, and I recognised it. I think very quickly, yeah. I was like, "That looks like a Barzan," um, but I thought, "No, they won't be. It's got to be something else." But no one's ever said she's not a Barzan. But no one's ever said she is a Barzan either. Um, so I'm presuming she is. And that she I think they have by now, haven't they? Have they said have they said the word? You know, now that now that you mention it, I am not sure. <laughs> Everyone's just, just assuming I, she is. I think, I think they might I I don't know. I'm Googling it right now. <laughs> yeah. On memory alpha it says Commander Nam was a twenty third century female Barzan. Federate, uh, doesn't, I don't think it's, I don't know if it says whether they actually say it. No, a young Barzan female. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't, they haven't mentioned it on screen, but I think they've said it, you know, behind the scenes that she's. I think the breathers look great as well. They're such a nice, a nice little piece of tech. I really like her, the design of her, um, her face Mm -hmm. and, and the breathers. And, and I love that she wears the scan. Yes. Yes, she does. I love it. Oh, she's awesome. And, um, I, you know, I'm also very glad that they have a female uh, chief of security because um, I was I was really bummed when Landry got killed by the tardigrade simply because I thought it was nice to have a, you know, female chief of security. Again, she was you know? a really and, great character as well. I was really excited. Uh, when she came back in the mirror universe, I was like, she's back. They're going to bring her back. They, they didn't kill off this great character. Then they killed her off again yes. really quickly. I was like, oh, she is right. she's definitely dead. Now it's only like... Her and Connor, Connor too. Yeah. I was like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah, so that's interesting. But, yeah, so, all right. False Prophets <laughs> wins today. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you guys. And, and thank you, Rob, uh, so much for joining us today. It was so much fun having you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had loads of fun. Excellent. That's really good to hear. Good. Thank you. And uh, how can people get a hold of you, Rob, if they want to continue the conversation? Uh, yep, so people can find me on Twitter. I'm at Trekkie Rob, and you can find um, my Trek Book Club um, on Twitter as well at Trek Book Club. Great. Uh, and Ross, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, I'm on Twitter as well. I am at strtrk1701. Okay, and you can get a hold of me on Twitter. Also, I'm at edequarks. And you can get hold of the podcast at SnapTrek. And do send us your limericks, uh, your opinions or your ideas about any of the categories. Uh, we'd love to hear them. Okay, so we put a call out for some, po- some poems to read out on this episode. And this is by Daniel Peter Hitch at Hitch underscore Daniel on Twitter. There's so much to compare for this podcasting pair. There's plots and aliens and starships to spare. You run down the list, ensure nothing is missed and you highlight your favourite with a plum and bliss. So hurrah for Snaptrek. Now all hands on deck. Let's get ready to do this. I love that. <laughs> I really <laughs> do. It was such a, 
It wasn't just a poem about Star Trek. It was a poem a little bit about us as well. And it was lovely. Oh, yes. It was so lovely. I feel like that should be like our theme. Your own limerick. Yeah. So so thank you so much for that. We really appreciate that. That was a really great one. Oh, yeah. All right, so that's it for this episode of uh, SnapTrek. Uh, and please join us for the next episode of SnapTrek, where we will be uh, discussing Star Trek Die Hard episodes. <laughs> and we're gonna do so we're gonna do a, a Picard Die Hard versus a Janeway Die Hard. So it's uh, TNG Starship Mine versus Voyager's Macrocosm. <laughs> Perfect. The, the, uh, I'm very much looking forward <laughs> that to that. That sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, thank you. That yeah, that's that. I'm looking forward to that. Should be interesting. Um. Okay. Well, thank you again, everybody, for for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, and I guess that's it. Ross and Rob. Anything else you want to say? I I'm good. I've got you. Caught me on the fly. I got nothing. I'm all I'm all out of wit. I'm done. <laughs> <That's okay>. <laughs> 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 all right Abby. Other, other than other than that episode that next next time's episode um episode sounds really good oh, looking excellent. forward to that one okay. <laughs> excellent all right well that's it for snap track thanks for listening Bye-bye. bye bye